Lord, I again thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to be able to minister your words. And I just ask your anointing upon this service and upon the hearts, Lord, of the people to receive your words. And we ask, Lord, that you'd be with each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in John, the fourth chapter tonight. <clears throat> so if you want to turn there. This is some familiar areas of Scripture. You probably, we've heard lots of sermons about it. And I preached on it at a time, at least once that I know of. So hopefully we can look at some of the things that are in here. This is a, another conversation that Jesus had. And it's kind of good to look at the way that Jesus interacted with people. Because of the way that he interacted with them, we know that he can interact with us. Jesus was, a, was personal. He wasn't a God that was way high up there that, that uh, you just couldn't reach. But he's our God. And he carried on conversations with individual people. And he wants to talk to us in the same way. So I think it's kind of good to look at these conversations that uh, Jesus had and kind of reflect on them. And maybe we can get a kind of an insight to who God, who Jesus was when he was here on this, walked on this earth. Um, yeah, there's a clip in the movie Shrek. I don't know whether, have you, have you seen the movie Shrek? I broke down, yeah, we broke down and watched it when there was nothing else on one day. And it, it was better than I thought it was going to be. I'm usually kind of don't uh, into cartoons much, but uh, we did because this friend of ours who's older than we are said it was good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so we, I recorded this for the grandkids when they came, you know. <laughs> but anyway, in the final scene of the movie, Fiona, she says, I was supposed to be beautiful. And Shrek says, but you are beautiful. And that kind of says it all. That kind of, kind of answers a question that all of us have. You know, we all want to be loved unconditional. And that's what was offered, Shrek was offering to Fiona. Because, you know, Shrek or Fiona, in our opinion, really not the best looking people in the block as far as our, our own eyes are concerned. But we want to be loved unconditional without no conditions placed upon us. And it's hard to find that kind of love. We are so afraid that if people get to know us intimately that they won't like us anymore and so we're afraid and we're kind of a little standoffish in relationships because of that because we want to be loved unconditionally and we figure the only way someone can love us is by if they don't know us but this story shows us that with God it doesn't matter God loves us unconditionally and he knows who we are uh, verse 9 in John chapter 4 it says the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, we kind of read through that and say, Okay, big deal. But we don't understand the hate and disdain that the Jews had for the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans were people that during the exile, the Assyrians, when they conquered countries what they would do is they would take people in that particular area like in Jerusalem and they would move them miles and miles away to another culture not all of them just some of them and they would bring people from this culture and they would bring them over here and they they felt like that if they could disrupt the cultural structure of the nation that then they would be more susceptible to become the kind of people that they would want them to be but if you left the structure intact then it would, you know, might cause disloyalty. So that's what they did. And when they brought these Gentiles in from other nations, what happened was that these Jewish people was intermarrying with these Gentiles or these dogs. 
And so the Samaritans, because of this, they had a lot of half-breeds. And Samaria was, not, was a city that was full of half-breeds. Well, these people, these Jewish people that remained pure during the exile, that were better than they were because we remained pure, they wouldn't have anything to do with them because we're better than you are. You don't go to our church, so I don't like you. That was their attitude. And uh, as a matter of fact, they would go out of their way to avoid Samaria. It'd be just like us trying to avoid a whole city, and which where they'd travel 100 miles out of our way just from going through there, just walking through there. They wouldn't even do that. And here's Jesus. He goes through, not only stops there, but he stops and he talks to this woman. So she's flabbergasted about the whole thing. And that's why she asked the question, man, what are you doing talking to me? Aren't you afraid you'll get caught? Can you imagine? <laughs> and we can't understand the disdain that was, would be there. But I guess we could kind of put it like if we knew... If we were introduced to some of the terrorists that we had and we sat down and had a conversation with them and treated like they were wonderful people, <laughs> that's kind of the, the situation. So we don't really want to associate with these terrorists that are you know, trying to kill us and all these other kind of things that were going on. So we kind of associate that. We try not to think that we're, we love everybody and those kind of things, but in reality there are some limits to those kind of things. And that's what's going on here. The Samaritans were... were According to the, the Jewish people, they were filthy. They were dogs. You'd be better off eating, eating pig than you would associating with a Samaritan. And Jews do not eat pig. That's, uh, ooh, that's a big taboo. So that's kind of what's going on. So she was very surprised when Jesus would even talk to her because he knew she could tell that he was a Jew because of his dress, and she knew that he was rabbi because of his dress. Uh, verse 10 for his clothing. I shouldn't say dress because dress now means something different than don't want to think that Jesus was wearing a dress, although he was. <laughs> Everybody wore dresses back then. I had to laugh. Um, this church we used to go to in Salt Lake, when I first got saved, you know, you couldn't, I didn't end up in a dress until we moved to Colorado, and the church was more high church and that kind of thing. But anyway, I had some, but I thought, well, why, why wear a dress? And so we were... <clears throat> in uh, doing play, and we was talking, and the, and the pastor's wife was talking to me, and she's just talking about dresses, and that, you know, she says, you know, I'll bet you'd look good in a dress. And she says, oh, no, not me. I says, I read what the Bible said, and the Bible says that women aren't supposed to wear men's clothing. And you know what? Men wore dresses back then. <laughs> so I had a lot of fun with that. But anyway, that, that's not here. That's clear off the case here. I'm good at that, as you know. Uh, verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God who, uh, and who it was that asked you for a drink, you wouldn't have asked him. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. See, Jesus didn't treat her like a dog. He accepted her, and he was talking to her like she was a human being. Now, can you imagine somebody that was treated like an outcast her whole life, all of a sudden, somebody shows you attention? Have you ever seen a child that's been abused or mistreated and no one wants anything to do with them, you show them a little bit of attention, and man, they're, they're just like, you know, they just suck it up. And I think this is kind of what was going on in, in this situation. <clears throat> and he showed her that he didn't care about her past. See, God doesn't care about our past. He doesn't care where we came from. He doesn't care what's going on in our lives. See, Jesus socialized with the outcasts. And he associated with the people that, the society didn't care, care too much about, and the people that were afflicted and poor and all these other kind of people. That's who Jesus was. The religious people, they didn't like Jesus because of that. 
And so he, he associated with them. And there's a lot of people that we're going to associate with in our life that have been used to being outcasts. They wouldn't feel like they was comfortable in a church because they wouldn't think that they'd be welcome. Why in the world would you want me to come? What's there about me? Society has beat them down so much that, that they're afraid of anything. And they're wondering, man, and when someone's nice to them or treats them decently, they think, what do you want from me? And that's what happens a lot of times when people take advantage of older people. How do they do that? Well, they show attention. They act like they're important. And then they, they suck them all into these things by appeasing them or making them feel like they're valuable and that someone cares about them, and then they take advantage of them. That's the society we live in. But see, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus doesn't care what our background is. He doesn't care whether we've ever we've been raised in the church, whether we lead the church, or whether we've never been in church, whether we've dabbled in the old cult. He doesn't care what our background is. And that's what we learned from this encounter, that Jesus didn't care. He didn't care whether someone was going to be talking about his back because he was associating with this type of people. Man, I, I mean, we can't, we can't even comprehend the stigma that would be attached to him for this incident. We just read through it, well, big deal. He talked to a woman, whoop-de-doo. No big deal. But it was a big deal. And Jesus did that to let us know that, hey, he doesn't care. He came to seek the lost. Uh, verses uh, 16 well, Jesus offered her the possibility because he said, uh, I want to give you living water. Well, that's something. He not only talked to her, he offered her something. Now, that, that was intriguing for her. Verses 16, uh, he said, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is just quite true. Whoa, how would you like that? <laughs> I wouldn't like that at all. I wouldn't like to talk to Jesus. Here I meet this stranger, and all of a sudden, he's spilling my deepest, darkest secrets. To the Well, I don't know who was there, whether anybody's around or not. I have no idea. It doesn't tell that, because the conversation is between Jesus and this woman. But I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't like it if just somebody I, I didn't know, period. It was just one person telling me some of the things that I've done in my life. I wouldn't like that at all. I wouldn't be happy about it. And all of a sudden, here's this stranger, he's a Jew, and all of a sudden, he's digging up my garbage that I've been trying to hide my whole life. And, uh, and he lets her know, yeah, you did tell me the truth. You don't have a husband. <laughs> but you're living with somebody. Now, this is kind of a situation that she had to live with. I don't know how she ended up in the situation that she was in. I don't know. It doesn't give us another background on that because it doesn't matter. The, the, the point is that she had a, a sordid background according to the traditions of man and the Jewish law and all the other laws, what she was doing, her lifestyle was not wrong. And she was actually, uh, it was probably a stoning offense in reality. So that was the reality of that. And Jesus is saying, oh man, here's your sins. And she's going, oh no, I covered this stuff up or thought I did. And see, she, this is midday. This isn't at night that she comes to the well, she comes in the middle of the day. Now, that's not the time you go drug water, is in the middle of the day, unless something happens, that, an emergency. Usually go in the early in the morning to get the water because it's cool, because we don't like to work outside when it's hot. Well, midday, it's hot over there at midday. So that's not the time you want to go. But she went because she wanted to avoid all the other women, because the women, they probably harassed her. They probably called her names. Not these Jewish, good Jewish women. They wouldn't do that, would they? Uh-uh. 
Neither would us good little Christian girls. We wouldn't do that either. Or you Christian boys or guys. And so to avoid all this abuse that she was putting herself to, she went when she thought no one was there. And oh, to her surprise, not only was somebody there, but he knew everything about her. Uh, and from this we learn that Jesus, knowing her past, Jesus knew her past and he still offered her living water. See, Jesus didn't care about her past. He still offered her the same thing that he would have offered the, the religious, the Pharisees, or whatever. The same thing was for everybody. It didn't matter. The ground is level when you come to God and when you come to Christ. Verse uh, Mark 2, 16 and 17 says, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto him, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus came to the unwanted, the unloved, and the ones that nobody, the outcasts of the world. That's who he came for. In uh, Luke 19 and 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. See, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to seek the found. It'd be kind of crazy he'd be looking for found people. But everybody needs to be found. It's just a different uh, level that we live in. These Pharisees in this day needed to be saved just as much as the woman at the well. And in God's opinion, he th the Pharisees were worse off than this woman at the well. Because you couldn't tell the Pharisees what their sins were. You couldn't tell them, you arrogant snob. <laughs> you, you put all these rules and regulations on people that they can't live under, and you don't live under them. You're a bunch of hypocrites. But this woman, hey, she just had her life for whatever it was, and Jesus didn't, didn't treat her like she was a, an outcast. Hey, man, I, I like Jesus, and I'm glad he's like that because I was an outcast. I probably wouldn't have been welcomed in some of the churches the way that we, we lived our lives. We wouldn't have been welcomed by the religious Pharisees of our day. But Jesus came to seek and to lost, find the lost, and I was lost. And I'm glad he sought me. I'm glad he sought Randy. And, he, and I know every one of you here, you're glad he sought you. We all had a different path that maybe the God used to get us there, but he got us there. And he chose to use this path with this woman. Now, I guarantee if I met somebody for the first time and I told them all their background, I guaranteed I'd get their attention. They knew something was different here. I don't quite like it. But see, God, Jesus wants us, doesn't want us to come to him after we've cleaned ourselves up. See, there's the difference. Sometimes in order to, to uh, do certain things, we have to clean up our life. You have to do these things before you can, you can be accepted in the church or you can get accepted in society. These are the things you have to do. But see, Jesus doesn't ask us that. He told us, hey, you come to me and I'll clean you up. You don't have to worry about it because, see, we can't do it anyway. I wouldn't know a sin when I was lost. I couldn't tell you what a sin was and what it wasn't. I wouldn't. Now I look at my life and I thought, man, was I a big sinner. But when I was living that life, I didn't think I was that bad. I thought I was doing just fine. We, we didn't really do a lot of things to hurt other people. We lived within our own things. We just had a good time. So, hey, but Jesus sought us and found us, and, we didn't, and he cleaned us up. And now I look at our life, and I'm man, I thank God that he cleaned us up because we'd probably be in jail now or dead <laughs> by now if God hadn't rescued us and saved us. So I'm thankful that he came to change us, and he changed us from the inside out. Man wants us to change us from the outside, change the outside. You put on clean clothes, look nice. Let's cover up. It's like putting a lace dress on a pig. Totally useless in God's sight. Doesn't do any good. God wants to change the pig. <laughs> he doesn't want to change the clothing. 
Uh, John Newton was born in London, England in July, 9, July 24, 1725, the son of a merchant ship commander. When John was 11 years old, he went to sea with his father, and his father retired. John signed on as a crew member on a Brit British warship. Finding the conditions aboard the ship to be harsh and difficult, John deserted ship only to be captured. He was then publicly flogged and demoted from midshipman to seaman and then reassigned to work for the captain of a ship carrying slaves from America to the New World, from Africa to the New World, which was America. Seeing his condition, a friend of John's father abandoned, obtained his release from the slave trader. Despite the cruel and despicable conditions John witnessed on the slave ship, he ultimately became the captain of his own slave ship. As the captain of a slave trading ship, John Newton's ship would anchor off the African coast. There, African tribal chiefs would bring to him ship, his ship men and women of rival tribes that had been captured or taken prisoners. The, captured, the captives would be loaded in the ship's cargo hold where they would kept below decks, chained together to prevent suicides. Yeah, I'll bet. To save space, the slaves were laid side by side, row by after row, until as many as 600 men, women, and children were packed in the cargo hold of the ship. After the human cargo was aboard, the ship set sail for, the wor for what would eventually become America. Two out of every ten slaves aboard the ship died as a result of the harsh treatment. When the sla slaves became ill during the voyage, he would toss them overboard to prevent the spreading of infection. Captain Newton showed no compassion or remorse for the misery and suffering of those he had, was carrying into bondage. Upon arrival at his destination, those enslaved were traded for sugar molasses, and for there, John would return to England, unload the sugar and molasses, and then once again sail to Africa and pick up another load of human cargo bound for the New World. This was the pattern of operations for slavers. This, in his early years, John received some religious instruction from his mother, who died when he was young. After her death, John appeared to be aside, set aside any religious morals or values he may have been taught. But on a homeward leg of a voyage from Americas to England, loaded with sugar and molasses, John's ship encountered a violent storm. Waves crashed over the deck as the wooden sailing ship was tossed back and forth like a child's toy on the turbulent ocean waters. As recorded later in his personal journal, John Newton noted that they all seemed lost and appeared the small ship would surely sink. Then in the midst of fear and certainty, John Newton called out to God, Lord, have mercy on me. As the ship floundered in the storm, John Newton gave his life to Christ. He soon realized that his new life in Christ was incompatible with his chosen profession and eventually ended up a pastor who also wrote songs. His journal entry from that day afterward, after the storm had changed his life, became the inspiration for the best-known song of his songs, Amazing Grace. I don't think any of us were quite that bad when we come to Christ. But God's grace is amazing because God gives us a gift. He gives us life. He gives us living water, and we don't deserve it. He reaches down and he plucks us out of the jaws of death or hell. Actually, that's the jaws of death to us, eternal death, damnation, with no reason. We don't deserve it. That's grace. And John Newton, and from his life, as bad as it was, his background is what it was, God saved him and redeemed him. And we sit there and think, man, I thank God for John Newton because he wrote one of the most well-known Christian songs of our time. And uh, I'm thankful for that. But if it hadn't been for what happened in his life, we wouldn't have that song.
See, we sometimes don't want the storms in our life, but if it hadn't been for the storm in this man's life, he wouldn't have got saved. So if our family members sometimes are going through storms and they're not saved, just say, hey, Lord, reach down. You reach down to a slaver named John Newton. You can reach down to them and let them come to know you. God's grace is amazing, and it's still amazing. It's amazing today. It's, it's, I don't understand his grace. I just sit there and I say, man, why? How in the world could God do that? Why does God, what is it that God sees in man that he wants to, he went through everything he did for us? I don't know. I, I just can't understand it. We'll never understand it. But because God loves us, he offers a promise of eternal life. And he offered this lady at the well a promise of eternal life, living water. Uh, verse 19, it says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you, you Jews, claim that the place where we must worship is in Jer Jerusalem. Now, she was quite taken back about the revelation that she had, and she understood and realized that this guy was a prophet. He was dressed like a rabbi through the clothing. Rabbis dressed differently than, you know, your regular people did, so she could see that. And so she figured, well, I'm going to ask him some religious questions that's been bothering me. And this is kind of like you would if you, you've probably seen it at uh, parties and things. If a doctor shows up and you find out the guy's a doctor, all of a sudden everybody wants to know, well, I've got a pain right here. What, what's causing it? There's just something that happens when you find out about certain, certain things. So she found out he was a rabbi, and evidently he knew more than most rabbis because he knew her past, and she surely didn't tell him. She says, ah, that's my chance. I'm going to ask him some religious questions. So she says... The, I want to know which religious teachings are right. Do we hear a lot of that? Everybody wants to get into the religious teaching. Which is right? What do we have to do? Where do we have to go to be accepted by God? Now, these are good questions. These are questions that are asked every day. Maybe not to the degree that she was asking him, but they're asked in, in one way because they say, oh, what's the difference in, in your church and my church? I've got a religion. I don't need another religion. And if that's all we have to offer people, then no one's ever going to come to meet Christ because we're not offering a religion. We're not a, uh, offering an Assemblies of God church. We're not offering this church to people. We're offering Jesus. And that's what I want to offer here is Jesus, not a religion. Religion isn't good for anybody. It won't get you anywhere. God hates religion. But he didn't die for a religion. He died for a relationship. And it doesn't matter where we're at or how far we've strayed from God or, or where we are in our station in life, how bad we are or how good we are. God wants to have a relationship with us. And that's, that's what's amazing about grace. And that's the heart of man's attempt at religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. But Jesus was God's attempt to reach man on the cross. And the cross is in between and where Jesus brings the, the two ends together because he's the only answer. It's not about religion. And as long as we talk religion, people are going to turn us off because most people have a religion. And they're pretty happy with it or they think they are as happy as you can be with a religion. I never liked religion when I was you know, younger. I was fascinated with it and did a lot of studying about different religions. I didn't understand what it was until I met Jesus, and it was a hunger for Jesus that I wanted. It wasn't a religion. I went to all the churches on, on different days. You know, the days I'd go to the Mormon church and the Methodist church and the Catholic church all in one day. When I was a little girl, nobody took me. I went by myself. 
course, the, the town that we lived in, they all met in the same place, just different times, so it was pretty easy to do. <laughs> and it lived right across the street from where I lived as a little girl. But I was fascinated with religion. I didn't understand it. There was something about religion that was drawing me, but I didn't understand what it was. Well, when I met Jesus, I understood it. It wasn't the religion. It was Jesus that I wanted. And when you find Jesus, you don't want religion. Religion gives us an opportunity to, to help us along our path, to help us know what's right and what's wrong. But we get close enough to God, he'll tell us. But we need this. This is what we need. And when we have a relationship with Jesus, like Jesus wanted, the same, same relationship he wanted to have with this woman at the well. He wanted to let her know, hey, it's not religion. It doesn't matter where you worship. Because I didn't come to provide a religion. I come to provide a relationship with you. I want you to know me. I want you to, for me to be able to know you and commune back and forth together. So in spite of her preconceptions, because of her, her religious attitudes, but in spite of everything, he offers her her presence. He offers her a relationship. In verse 25 it says, The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now this is a dramatic statement that Jesus made. She just got through spilling her guts about what she thought religion was. And she, her answer to religion was that when the Messiah comes, because the Samaritans were still expecting the Messiah to come. She said, well, we don't, we'll never get it all straightened out until the Messiah comes, and he'll straighten out this religious mess. Well, that's true. When the Messiah comes again, he's going to straighten out this religious mess. But we deal with people every day of our lives that are, that are in a religious mess, and they need the Messiah to straighten it out. I can't tell people, all right, you can't do this. Why? Because the Bible says so. Because this. You shouldn't do this because this is what my church believes, or this is what I believe. What did the Messiah say? What did Jesus say about it? That's the only thing that's going to matter. And it won't even matter what Jesus says unless they have a relationship with him. My neighbor's uh, mother could yell at me all she wanted, and I could stick my tongue out of her and a few other things that I used to do. <laughs> you probably wouldn't, you know, don't want to know about in church. But <laughs> when my mom, my mom talked, hey, that was different. I listened to my mom because, you know, she had the authority <laughs> to tell me what to do, and I'd listen to her. Well, when people come to know Jesus, he's the one that's going to make the difference. He's going to make it all work out. And that's all we're obligated to do is introduce him to the, to the Messiah, to the Jesus that, that wants a relationship with them. And we need to, as, as a body of believers, quit judging people. It doesn't matter where they came from because Jesus died for them. And he loves me and he loves you just as much as he loves the, the most despicable person you can think of in your entire life. He loves them the same. And that blows my mind because we think that God will love us more because, hey, we do these nicer things. I'm not, as, I'm not as bad as that person over there is. But in God's eyes, it doesn't matter. He loves them, and he, he died for them. And he'll leave all the righteous religious people and go over here, and he will search out that one lost person because that's what he came for. That's who he is. He came and died for everybody. And we need to realize that as, as Christians, that Jesus wants a relationship with us. And he doesn't want just a one-time encounter. We think that we get saved, and that's all there is. Well, I met Jesus. Yeah, are you saved? Yeah, I, I, I got saved here 10 years ago. Well, do you have a relationship with him? Well, what do you mean? What do you mean a relationship? He's God. I, you know, I can't. 
They don't even understand what you're talking about. They think salvation is an encounter, like you go for a, a weekend or something, a weekend encounter of some kind. That isn't what it's about. The salvation is just the initial step in the relationship. It gets you into the door. It gets by, it's the ticket to the party. And we need to realize that, that relationship needs to be built by spending time with each other. And when we pro promote Jesus and we promote a relationship, and you talk to people and you say, I just talked to God this morning. And they go, really? Or God told me this, and they look at you like you're crazy. Where's the little white men in the green coats? And they want to tie you all up and lock you away. You're crazy. But the reality is God does talk to us. But we need to be listening to his voice. And we need to, need to quit our, our attitudes about people and look at people the way Jesus does. And I pray and I say, God, let me look at people. Let your compassion, let your love flow through me when I look at people. Don't, we judge, don't let me judge them so they're dirty looking and so they look scrambly and their clothes are all torn and they stink. So what? Help me to see them as you see them. Because we think that we're better somehow than they are and we're not. And God wants us as the, and this is where it's got to start. It's got to start with us. When our attitudes start changing, we're more concerned about introducing people to Jesus than we are introducing them to our religion. Because Jesus didn't, didn't die for our religion. We have pretty good religion here. If somebody's got I really like it. I, I've checked them all out, and I like them the best. <laughs> I, made a, I made an educational decision, not just, just happened to stumble into it. I did happen to stumble into it, but I did a lot of research about different religions. But it doesn't matter. Every religion has their own rules and regulations, but I can honestly say that all the, the doctrine that I found in the Assemblies of God lines up with this Bible, and that's all I care about. If it isn't in here, I don't want it. Anyway, God came to love the unlovely, and he knows everything about us. We can't, don't even worry about hiding anything from God because he already knows it. So we might as well just get it out in the open, talk about the elephant in the room, every day of our life and have that relationship. And we need to make sure that we let, let people see a Jesus that will talk to the woman at the well, that will talk to the, the guy that's all dirty and stinky down on the road and quit walking on the other side of the road. Have you ever done that? Have you ever walked on the other side of the road when you see a smelly guy or something coming towards you? Jesus wouldn't. <laughs> so anyway, I'm thankful for that. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for, for coming and, and reaching down to each one of us. And help. I pray, Lord, that you'd help each one of us, Lord, to not teach a religion or try not to get people to be converted to a religion, but help them to introduce them to you. Because we know, Lord, that you died for the individual person and you love every one of us equally. We all stand equal at the cross. And I'm thankful for that, Lord, because if there was any inequality, Lord, that was involved in the kingdom, Lord, I probably wouldn't have been let in. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you opened the doors wide to me. You allowed me, Lord, to come to you. And I know that everyone here in this service tonight, Lord, you called them. Lord, and you reached down and touched their life. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord, to reach out to this world and this community, Lord, that we are involved with. And allow them, Lord, to see Jesus in us. Help us, Lord, to have a relationship so close to you that when they look at us, they see you. Let your love, Lord, fill our hearts and let your compassion, Lord, fill our souls that we can be Jesus to the world that we walk around in, especially in this community and especially in this area, Lord. I pray your blessing upon this congregation, Lord, and I ask, Lord, that you'd be with each one of us, Lord, throughout this week, Lord. We'll be careful to give you the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said?
Amen.